where does love come from? And uh, frankly, um, why isn't my love enough for my spouse? I don't know if you've noticed this, right, with your spouse, with, with, your, with your children, with your neighbors, with your classmates, that you don't love them like Jesus does, right? Um, our love is fickle, it's, it's short-lived, it's, um, it's uh, hot one day and cold the next, right? We, we need something else, we need something else. And this is something I discovered in my marriage, um, that I needed, I needed the love of the Lord God in my heart for Brenda. My love was just inadequate. It just wasn't enough. It was too, too short and, and too, too inadequate. So I began to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, put your love for Brenda in my heart. Give me, give me this unco- the unconditional love that you've shown me. Help me to show it for my wife. And it, that helped. One of the things that helped change our marriage was that I started depending on the Lord for his love instead of my, uh, my love that tended to be so, so short. Um, so real love comes from God. If the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, then you're going to, over time, you're going to be growing in love for your neighbor, for your spouse, for your classmates, for your roommates. It's going to happen as you learn to trust more and he begins to change you and your character to look more like Jesus Christ. We've talked about this. We talked last week about how um, love that's lost can be refound. Um, that, uh, and, and this is Brenda and my story. Brenda and I went through years, several years of of time where we had just incredible struggle in our marriage. We went through three years. Brenda says it was three. I felt like it was seven. It was a long time. You get my drift? It was a, it was a long time. But we worked, through, we worked through the scriptures. We worked through counseling together. And uh, the Lord redeemed our marriage. Amen? Praise God, he has. Um, and, is, and found what, what, uh, what helped us to find again what we had lost. So we were in Revelation 2 last time when Jesus was writing to the church in Ephesus and talking about um, losing the first love or, or losing the love they had at first. And he said, remember the height of which you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you had done before. So we're going to continue on today. And so today we've been talking about, you know, where does love come from? How can I have a greater love for my spouse? How can I have a greater love for my neighbor? We've talked about that. Last week was about, well, if I've lost love, how can we find it again? And today I want to talk to you about how can I show love, um, particularly for my spouse. So this is probably the heaviest that we're going to do on marriage in particular. Um, and, And let me tell you, this is an important part of biblical or historic Christianity, is that we believe that God has set up in in creation, his will is known in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We can get a lot about what God's will is, about how he's established his design and creation right out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so it's interesting that Jesus, when he was asked about marriage, he referred back to Genesis chapter 2. He's basically telling the Pharisees and the others, he said, y'all don't understand what marriage is about. Let me remind you. And he goes back to this passage that we're about to read in Genesis chapter 2. So the, the formation of marriage, the design of marriage is, is shown here in Genesis chapter 2. So we would be wise, right, to go back to the word of God and say, well, what does God intend for marriage? What was God's intention? Men, what's God's intention for you in your marriage? What has he called you to do? Ladies, what has he called you as women to do in marriage as a, as a wife? What has he called us to? How has he designed marriage to work? So we're going to be here in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Would you, with no further ado, let's pick up. We're going to read, I'm going to read this a, pass, a part of it at, at a time. Um, I think you could, well, anyway, that's fine. We're going to leave, read this a passage at a time, maybe a paragraph at a time. So pick up with me. The first part is going to be about um, God's um, taking the man, telling the man what he's supposed to do, and giving the man, Adam, um, his commands about what they're supposed to do in this Garden of Eden. So in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, says this, The Lord God 
took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here we have the commands to the man. We see what God calls the man to do, and then we see his commands that he's supposed to then take and carry on. So I think there is, in, this, in, in verse 15, I think there are two, these two verbs that are given to Adam are really a more than just what Adam's responsibilities were. I think this is God's responsibility for marriage, God's design in marriage for men. Okay, so right, so Jesus refers back to this, these passages when he talks about here's what marriage is about. So men, I think we're supposed to take it. This is not just a marriage. This is God's intention for marriage in Genesis chapter 2. All right, so look with me. I want to point out to you what those words are. So the Lord took the man. Remember, uh, Adam was created before, you know, God formed man and then put Adam in the garden. But it puts it in this incredible place. It, it's full of abundance for them. God creates this incredible creation and he provides this un- incredible abundance for Adam and Eve. And he puts them right in the middle of the Garden of Eden with all this abundance of food all around them. Um, and it's, you, know, you would think, oh, well, in paradise, right, there's nothing to do. No, there is something to do. Adam, Adam then, God's is basically he's handing him the keys. You know, it's like when you're, you were 16 years old, right, or your mom and your dad handed you the keys to the car after you'd gotten your license and say, okay, now you take care of this thing that I've bought for you, or you take care of this thing that you've paid for yourself. But now this is your responsibility. There's some really great terms for what God is doing here. One of them is like vice regent, or maybe the other way that we think of it is, is God has called us to steward over. He's called Adam and Eve, and Adam here in particular, to steward over what he had given them. So they're to live in God's abundance, but it doesn't mean there's not things to do. They're now to take over, and Adam in particular is called to work and to keep the garden. Okay, so follow along with me. I want to teach, I want to, uh, let's talk a little bit about those two words, to work and to keep. So the word work here that's used can mean to, to cultivate. It, it, means to, it means to make something to flourish. It means to work it. And, and you can think about Adam here working in a garden that he would need to till the soil and, and prune, the, prune the, uh, the trees and he would need to pick the fruit in its season and, and all of those things. So, so um, he's put man in, in the garden and his, his role here, his responsibility is to be a steward of what God has given him to cultivate it, to make it to flourish, um, to make whatever realm or whatever arena he's in, and here it's Adam in the garden, but to make it flourish so that one, that, that he could be a good steward, but two, so that he could provide for his family, right? For his little family here of just he and his wife at this time, him and his wife, to make it productive. I think we're supposed to take, I think we're supposed to take this and say, so how many of you are full-time gardeners? Right, so we're like, oh man, this doesn't even apply to me, right? Uh, so, you know, I'm not a full-time, I'm not even a full-time farmer. You know, I'm not even a full-time rancher. So, you know, what does this cultivating have to, have to do? I think what, what, is, what, is, what is key here is that we're supposed to understand where God had placed Adam and he had called him, now take the abundance that I've put around you and you take care of it. You cultivate it. You make it productive. Can I tell you, I think this applies now. I think the way we're supposed to take this creation mandate is how it's referred to in the last of Genesis chapter 1 and into Genesis chapter 2, is that whatever arena, men, that God has skilled you and put you in, you're supposed to cultivate, right? Is it the arts? Be a cultivating artist. 
Is it the sciences? Be a cultivating scientist. Is it business? Be a cultivating business. Are you a teacher? Are you, a, are you in medicine? Are you, are you in transportation? Whatever you do, make it productive. Cultivate it. Use the skills that God's given you and the abundance that he's placed you in and work it. Cultivate it. Make it flourish. Take, take what God's given you in raw materials and make something productive uh, so that you're a good steward of what God's given you and so that it will provide for you and your family. Does that make sense? Work, cultivate. Make something come from what you're doing, from the skills that you have and where God has placed you. So that, that first word means to, to work or to make productive. The second thing is an interesting word. He says not just work in the garden, but also keep it. This word keep it can mean, um, can mean to guard or to watch over or to care for. It, it's interesting that God has called Adam to, to watch over or to guard over the Garden of Eden. And it's really interesting because we know what's happening in chapter 3 is a snake comes into a garden. Makes me wonder a little bit. This is, uh, don't, don't take this. This is just my uh, hypothesizing. I should probably just leave it. But hypothesizing that perhaps if, if Adam had taken care of the snake from the beginning, had guarded and kept, uh, perhaps the fall would have happened probably inevitable anyway, right? Because of our, our bent towards sinfulness. But to guard and to watch over. It, so I, I take that to mean, right? So again, many of us don't have gardens that we're guarding and watching over. But you do have a place where God, you, you have a place. You, what God has given you, you're supposed to guard and to keep and to care for, right? So, so we're not careless with what God's given us. We're, we're not careless in, and with the gifts and the skills that he's given us. We're, we're careful to use them and we're careful with what he's given. So we're to steward what God has given us. Has God given you a job? Has he given you skills? Has he given you a place that you can earn an income for your family? Has he given you the raw materials? Now you need to make something of it. That's what he calls us to, men, is to work and to cultivate, to steward over what he's given us, to make it productive, to make it flourish, both for the sake of creation and for the sake of our families. Does that make sense? The first calling, I think, for men. The next thing is, so I want you to notice we notice that he calls them to be stewards of, God calls them, says, he says, be stewards of what I've given you. And there's physical things that God has given Adam. But he's, you know, there's also, he's given Adam the ability to work. He's given Adam the, 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 the raw materials of the garden. And, but that's not all he gives. Now he's going to give, now he's given the garden, but now he's going to give Adam, he's going to give him his word. He's going to give him his command. And now, he's, now the call on Adam is to steward my words. Don't just steward the garden, but also steward my words. Be a good steward of the commands that I give you, right? So because he goes on to say in verse 16, and the Lord commanded, who? You can say it. The Lord commanded the man. It's probably not behind me, is it? The Lord commanded the man. This is before Eve is created, apparently. So, so what happens is God comes and he calls to Adam and he tells him, take care of the garden, keep it, cultivate it, guard it. Watch over it, care for it. And then he says, and now here are my words. And my words are this, that you may eat of any tree of the garden. God's just abundantly giving them and the, the trees of the garden. We don't know how many, but there was an abundance of food for Adam and Eve um, and for their future family. There was an abundance of food. And he said, you may eat of every tree of the garden, save one, right? Um, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for on the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So God gives them this freedom. It's not like God goes through and he says, you can eat of this tree, but not of that one. 
You can eat of this one, but not that one. You can eat of that one over there. Oh, but don't touch that one over there, right? See, sometimes we have the idea that God is like playing some tricks with us or he's, or he's like he doesn't really intend what's good for us. Listen, God put Adam and Eve in the midst of abundance where all they had to do was carry on what he had created. And, he, and, they said, and he said, save one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of, of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of the tree of that fruit. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Sorry, too many prepositions. So he tells them, don't eat of this one. And of course, the, the, the um, serpent comes, deceives Eve. Adam and Eve will eat of it. Of course, we know what's coming. But he's called to be a steward of, of the stuff, a steward of his skills, a steward of, of the energy and the strength that God's given him. But he's also to be a steward of God's word. I want you to notice, I hadn't noticed this. We were reading through last fall, two falls ago probably. We were reading through the book Kingdom Man um, by um, Tony Evans. And uh, Tony Evans taught me something here. He says, so in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, it, it says that the Lord was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And do you know who he called? He called to Adam. Adam, where are you? Why would he call to Adam? Why didn't he call to Adam and Eve both? Because he had given his commandment to Adam. Adam was supposed to steward the word of God and take that word of God and tell clearly, plainly to Eve what God had said. Well, apparently that wasn't communicated well or there was some misunderstanding or maybe frankly they were both, um, Eve was deceived and Adam was, um, what's that word we like to say, Tim, about uh, passive. He was passive standing there while Eve, Eve was deceived instead of doing battle with the, with the uh, serpent. So, um, so here, that's it. I, 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 think this is the, I think this is the key. And you'll notice, you know, the Bible doesn't say, well, all men are like this. All women are like this. Listen, we have different strengths and we have different uh, skills that God's given us. I know, you know, in my family, just for an example, I'm the nerd, right? So I pay the bills. I, I've been, I've, I pay the bills. I'm the one, I keep a spreadsheet. I keep a calendar for Britta. I'm doing the nerdy stuff, right? One of you's the nerd if you're married, right? Keeping up with all that stuff. But so it, he doesn't say, you know, very, he doesn't say with all these specifics, right? In some other families, the, the, the woman is the math genius, right? And not the man and who can keep up with the numbers or keep up with the accounting better. Whatever that is for you, but God calls men to work, to cultivate, to, to cause to flourish, to put their skill, the God-given skills and the, and the place that God has given them and the words that God has given them to be stewards over and to carry them into the family and be good stewards of what God has given and what God has said. Amen? Then let's talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about just practically, let's talk about practically how can we be stewards of what God has said? Well, the very first and obvious thing is you must read the scriptures to know what God has said. Fairly obvious, isn't it? And yet we struggle with that, right? It is, it's the first and most obvious thing. And men, if you're not married, this is a fantastic, right? Those of us who are over 40 years old, who would say that the easiest time for you to be in the scriptures and to start memorizing and building a reservoir of knowledge of the wisdom of God for the scriptures is actually before you get married. Amen? Brothers who've been married more than a year or two, this is the time for you to, to dwell richly in God's word. This is the time for you. If I could go back and tell myself anything at 14, 15, 16, it would have been spend more time in the word. Know it inside and out. Pick up on its wisdom. Understand what God calls good. Understand what God says is good, what God says is bad, and understand the scriptures. So much importance there. But besides that, so for you men today, is you got to be in the Word. We, you know, you can't take someone someplace you've never been. 
You, you've got to be in the scriptures. You've got to be in your scriptures. If you're going to lead your family in the scriptures, you've got to be in the scriptures. And it's not enough to know the scriptures. Do you know this? The Pharisees, listen, knew, knew, the, knew the scriptures probably better than anyone else, anyone in this room. They never applied it. It never took hold in their heart. It never meant anything to, to them except for just knowing the scriptures and that it, they had some self-piety, self, you know, self some self-righteousness out of it that they knew the scriptures, the scribes, right, knew the scriptures so well. They knew it so well that they didn't, keep a, didn't hardly keep a word of it. They didn't keep the intent of the word of God. So it's not enough to read it. You have to apply it. When you read the word of God, you've got to let it read you, amen? You, you've, got to, you've got to get alone with the word and say, how does this apply in my life? What does this say about God? And what does this say about the Lord Jesus Christ? And then what does it say about me? Right? What does it say about me? You have to apply it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some other practical advice. One is, if you have young children or you have young old children, if you're married and it's just you two, then just get in the Word occasionally with each other or every day. You know, I, we found it, quite frankly, I found it hard to be in the Word every day with my family. It was difficult. Now, there are some people who do it and do it well, and you should probably follow their example and not mine. It, it was difficult for me. But I know, I know that there were times that was key for us to be in the Word together. When our children were going through changes of time, whenever they became, uh, whenever they're going through uh, puberty, whenever they're going through those difficult times, we, we had to focus time to be in the Word together every day. We bought a, we bought a, a daily devotional, or devotional for teenagers, and we read that together. You know? We went through that together. I, I would lead, or we would take turns reading through it. But whatever you do, just keep doing it. Just keep changing. Find a devotional that you'd like to do with a family and, and do that for a while. Do, you know, whatever you find, or, or just say, you know what? I, I would like to read through 1 John, just me and, and just you and your wife. Just read through 1 John or read through the, the gospel of John together or something like that. But whatever you do, whatever you've stopped doing, just pick up something else and continue on. Amen? There is, there, you cannot go wrong with being in the word of God together. Amen? So if you've stopped, start again. There's, there, just, don't, just don't stop starting. Just keep starting. Just keep restarting if that's what it comes to. Just keep it up. All right. So I want to, well, let's continue. We need to read on. So, um, so yes, God has called man to steward what he's given, to steward what he said, um, to apply the scriptures. Um, and then let's continue. We'll, we'll continue to read on. Then the Lord said in verse 18, that the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'm going to pause there for just a minute. So here we have Adam. He's in the creation. God has created this paradise in the Garden of Eden. He's, he's in the midst of all this abundance. He's, God is spending time with him through the day. He's in the beauty of God's creation. It's him and God together in the garden. And God says, this is not good. Man, what, how could this not be good? It's paradise. It's, it's, it's God and dwelling with his creation together, right? How is this not good? Well, it's not good because Adam has no one like him in all of creation. He has no, he's got no match. He's got no mate. There are all these animals um, that God has created, and yet there's no one fit, is what the King James Version says for him. So continuing on, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of every, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see whatever he would call him, call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Let's continue in verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds and to the, of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, 
He took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. All right, so this passage, I, I love this paragraph. So here is all the beauty and all the mystery of all God has created and formed from the ground and spoken into existence. The heavens are formed, uh, the, the, the streams, the rivers it talks about in Genesis chapter 1 that exist. And, and then he, he fills, God fills the, the heavens and the earth and the, and the seas with teeming with creatures. And then he creates man and he puts him in the center of this garden that he's created with all this abundance. He says, it is not good. Because man needs woman. Adam needed Eve. It is not good for man to be alone. It will say right in other parts of the scriptures. It is not good for man to be alone. Because here's, here's, here's the deal. Is that man could not fulfill all that God had created for him alone. He needed help. He needed someone to help him. And that's where, that's where this, these words come from. But before I go there, I want to I I make a little gospel connection with you this morning. And that's this. Adam was put to sleep and his side was opened, right? So that, so that, um, so that he might have a wife. The Lord Jesus Christ, right, was died on a cross. His side was opened with a spear that he might have a bride, the church. He works and he cares for his bride, the church. This is why in Ephesians chapter 5, we have this beautiful example. Say, Listen, the, the relationship between a husband and wife is like the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. The Lord Jesus Christ does men what you and I are called to do for our wives. He worked for the church. He created the church by carrying our sin and shame, our sins on the cross on his shoulders. He died and, 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 and through his work, our sins were taken away forever. Anyone who comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and anyone who comes to confess his name, those people will be saved, their sins will be removed from them and he cares for his church even today. He works and he cares for. He, he works and he keeps his church even today. All right, let's continue. So, so this, is a, this is an example of what's coming in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we know that creation was incomplete. I want to read something to you from Matthew Henry. He says this about, about woman being made from the, from the rib of Adam. He, he says this. He says, She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. It's a pretty good understanding of, I think, what God meant by taking Eve, creating Eve from the side of Adam. That they are before God equal, that they are before God equal of, in importance, that they are before God equally created, that they are before God, that they are called together to rule over whatever domain that God has given them. So, so husbands and wives get this, that you are called to be vice regents together, that God has called you together there to rule over whatever realm he's put you in. You with me? Now, I must say, there are differences between men and women. Man, right? Lucky that lightning didn't fall from the skies. There are differences between men and women, and God has created it that way. And I, I can say for one, I am glad. I am glad I didn't marry a woman who's a lot like David. I, I need someone different from me, amen? That, right, those of you who are married, you say, thank God I didn't marry someone like me. Yeah, I, I married a wife, and she is very, I married a woman, and she is very different from me. 
I, I think this is important for us to understand. So it, I, want you to, I want to talk just a little bit about women's roles. And so this idea about, about it, the, the woman is called together with the man to rule together over the dominion that God has given them, over, you know, to steward together what God has given them, to steward together what God has said. Man has the responsibility for leadership, but notice what it says that the woman's role is to help. It, it, it refers to, over again, a helper fit. That's a, that's, the, um, that's a translation of one word in Hebrew, a helper fit for him. So I want to talk to you about that, just that word. Hebrew. The word in Hebrew is azer. It, it's a, it doesn't mean that the woman somehow has a lesser role or is somehow inferior to the man. That's not at all what, it, what is being said here. In fact, this word azer is used of God throughout all of the Old Testament. In Psalm 33, verse 20, it says, Our hope, or, or sorry, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help, azer, and our shield. Psalm 121, verse 2 says, My help, Azer, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is not some idea that, oh, man's the primary and, and the woman is kind of the backstop. That's not at all what this means. It means that the man couldn't do it on his own. And he needed someone to come alongside so that there may be, I'm going to use the word com- completeness, there, they could be complementary is the way that we understand Genesis to teach about how, how the relationship between men and women to wor- or work. And that, that's the next word about this, about this idea, a helper fit. That, that, so, so what they're trying to say is, he says, he go, they go through all of the creatures that God has created and, the, and they says, there's nothing suitable for man. There's, there's, no, there's none of these animals are suitable. There's none of them fit. There's none of them that's a good match for the man. There's not a good mate here for him. So, he cre- so God creates woman to, uh, I'm going to use the word now, I'm going to change it a little bit on you, to complete or complement the man. So she's, so we're going to read just a little bit. It's going to say, you know, Adam, Adam rejoices at the creation of woman. He says, basically says, ah, oh, at last, a bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, she's a lot, she's just like me. She's flesh and bone like me. She looks like me. She's, she's, she's been taken from my side, right? She's like me, but she's not exactly like him, is he? Is she? Sorry, I'm big on pronouns. She's not exactly like him. She is suitable. She fits, but not exactly. Not it, it, like, like, uh, like hand and glove, like two hands, right? So, so yes, flesh and bone, but, but, but different. They are the same, but they are different. And this, I think, is one of the keys for how we're, under, how we're to understand the roles and the responsibilities of men and women in the family. So the man's been given a leadership responsibility. He's been given a responsibility to work. And the woman's been given a... This, this word, azer, means to aid or to help or to... I like this, think of this idea. It comes from the idea of surrounding, right? It's like coming around and, and surrounding someone when they're struggling. Or, or you can imagine putting a cast on a broken bone or, or, or when, when an when, when a, uh, when a, when a, when a army is, is uh, being, being uh, attacked, that, that another army comes and, and, they, and they surround them so that they can fight off the enemy. It's right, this idea of helping and aiding by coming around, coming around them, surrounding them. And so I think this is where we're supposed to how we're supposed to understand it. Ladies, how many of you know that your husband have some really incredible strengths? You can say so, it's okay. How many of you know, how many of you know very well that your husbands have some really strong weaknesses as well? Let me tell you, Brenda knows this. Here's the deal. God has created men and women to have different strengths. So, so let me give you, so let me tell you, I think what I see in women, and I didn't make a slide for this because this is not in the passage, but here's what I notice about women, 
um, about how God has created women. This is just David's, um, David's two cents. I see three things. I, I see three things that I think women are better at typically than men. Not in every case, not 100% of the time, but in, in many cases. One is connecting. Women are just better at relationships than we are men. Is that not true? And I know there's exceptions, but for the most part, women are far more connected than men are because they're better at relating to people. They can relate on a on a knowledge, on a head basis. They can relate in an in a, in a emotional basis. And men, right, we, frankly, too bad, we probably don't care enough to relate like that. Thank God for women because they help connect us to other people. They connect us to other couples. They help connect us to our families. They help, they help connect us in church. They help connect us, right, even to our children, right? It, when you have children, no one knows better what the kids are going through than the mom does, right? Is this right? Has this been right in your experience? They're just more connected. They care more about being connected than men do. And, and this, is, this is an incredible uh, benefit to men to us, right? It's an incredible benefit that we're, we're just not alone and sulking all the time, right? This is good. It's good. I, I need my wife. I need her to have those connections. The next thing is communicating. This is part of, I think, the connecting, but typically women are just communicating better. And you can see it, right? You can, we, we had a men's breakfast yesterday, and quite frankly, when all of us men are together, we, we were there in the fellowship hall, and we were eating kolaches, and they were delicious. John Woodward, thanks for the recommendation. They were wonderful. But you know what? There would be times of silence. There would be times that we would just be eating our little kolaches and our little mustard in times of silence, right? You've seen this, right? Because men are like, I don't know what to say, you know. Well, I tell you, if that had been eight ladies in there, they'd, they'd still be in there talking today right? They're better at connecting, better at communicating. And the last thing I want to say is they're better at creating, typically. So I, 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 think about, I think about what my house would be like if it weren't for Brenda. I've got to wrap up. I'm sorry. I, I would think about what my home would be like without Brenda. You, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would like have just lawn chairs in there, but it would just be one step above that. You know, just, just cold, but practical, but like cold, you know, I don't think about, you know, creating an environment. Well, Brenda thinks about creating, well, let's make a home that people would mind coming to. It's like, hey, that's a good idea. I don't know where you came up with it, but that's a great idea. People should be comfortable here. I never thought of that, but that's fantastic thinking. I tell you, when it comes to creativity, when it comes to things like, you know, what are we going to do with our money? Brenda has some great ideas. What are we going to do when our children are struggling? What do we do? Man, she's got great ideas. She's more connected to them than I am. Um, and, um, not, and, and by the way, I want to say, man, this doesn't give us excuses. This doesn't give you some excuse not to be connected or not to be in relationships. We should strive for that. We should, we should let your wife rub off on you and get better at relating to people, get better at communicating with people. But this is, this is part of the deal, right? is that men have strengths and women have strengths. And when Brenda and I do premarital counseling with people, we like to, I like to say this, it's like I'm the left side of the brain and Brenda's the right. Maybe it's backwards, I don't know. But when we come together, we get one whole brain together. We can actually make good decisions together. And God has made it this way. We are far better as a team than we are individually. Amen? So I need to wrap up. Let me wrap up by saying this. Let me wrap up by saying this. Um, so many couples that I see are in competition together. I don't have much hair left, but if I did, I would, if I had more, I would pull out my hair. Are you, are you kidding me? What do you mean you're in competition? They're in competition over, well, this is what I think we should do with the money. Well, this is what I think we should do with the money. Well, this is what, how I think we ought to discipline the kids. Well, this is how I think we ought to discipline the kids. And it's like who's, they're competing to win the, the argument. 
Did you read that here in Genesis 2? I, I didn't see that. What I saw is that these two are a team. This is the most basic team in all of the planet. Matter of fact, the world will, will rise or fall based on how this relationship's doing. Amen? This is the nucleus. This is, a, this is the atomic level of human society about how things are going in your house. We should be working together. We should be appreciating each other's strengths. We should be saying, you know what? You're really good at this. I'm not. Or, you know what? I'm good at this. Let's talk together about how we can make this financial thing work. Oh, let's think, let's think that our budget is, is, is terrible. Let's think about how we can do this and working together, working through their strengths, working to, to realize that, that, that you complete each other. Listen, the, Adam and Eve, David and Brenda, uh, Jessica and Michael, Jack and Bailey need each other. Amen? Individually, we're half of what, we were, what God has called us to do. We're half of what God has called us to be. We're supposed to be complementing each other. Amen? Amen. Let's close like this. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would use these words from your word and that you would help us in our marriages to really be first a team, to be united as, as the part that I didn't get to in Genesis chapter 2, to be united together, to come together in unison, in, in, in unification, to, to, to build a home, to raise our children, to, to do something, to steward the money that you've given us, to steward the home that you've given us well. And, and Lord, I thank you that you've called us together and you've given us different gifts. You've given us different roles. You've given us different skills. And Lord God, we are so glad for that. We need it, Lord God. I need my wife to be like me, but not 100%. I need her to be different enough that she's got a whole other skill set to bring into our marriage. Father, I pray that. I pray that that people who are now in competition in their families would drop the competition and say, how can we be a better team? Father, I pray for men that you would lead us to be good stewards of what you've given, to be good stewards of what you've said. I pray for that we would listen to our, the ladies that you've put in our marriages, that you've put in our homes with us, our wives, Lord God, that we would listen to their wisdom, listen to their creativity, their connectivity, to listen to their, their communication and to grow and to be better, Lord God, from it. Father, I pray your blessings on marriages at Calvary. I pray your blessings here that, that, the, that, that when you correct us that, and when you help us and when you redeem our marriages, I pray that you would be, help us to be redeemers of marriages beyond our church, that we could be evangelists in marriage in the way that you've designed it, that we could help other people who are struggling, that they might find that the Lord Jesus Christ has died to cover, to take, over their, their, take away their sins, to redeem their marriages, to redeem their lives. And we thank you, Father, for doing it. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.